0: Let's pray, and uh, then we'll get going, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Merciful God, loving Father, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, and makes all things new through your almighty word, transform our sinful nature and all our doings by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may please you and attain to perfect joy through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. All right. You should have a handout in front of you. Um, what did, what did uh, my father-in-law do last week? Anybody know? That's good. Okay. He said, he, he said I'd save him. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Someone came in this morning and said, they were from the seminary, and they said, we heard this is the church to go to. I said, oh, great. They said, who are you? I said, Pastor Gainek. Oh, are you related to Dr. Just? I said, Dr. Just is related to me. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> All right. Um, what what did you talk? I, I and I'm being very serious. What did you talk about last week? I actually don't know. He's kind of been off the radar, so I couldn't get couldn't get a response from him. Wow, was that memorable? Okay. <laughs> was it the was it Matthew uh, nine and Master? I desire mercy, and not sacrifice. Is that the okay? All right. So what did you learn? Yes, and I deserve my desire mercy and not sacrifice. Okay, that's a good start. Thank you. Yes, uh, Bible study is available for download on the internet, if you'd like to check that. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, hopefully what you heard was, uh, or at least what you heard was that mercy is the Lord's first word, okay? Because um, that's where we're headed. I'm sure that's what he told you, because he's a mercy kind of guy. Um, you don't work with you know, you don't go to Africa every year and work in sort of the poorest, the poorest section of that country um, if you don't believe that mercy is the Lord's first word. Okay? So my guess is what he said was, yeah, there's justice, and yeah, there's sacrifice. And in some sense, justice and sacrifice are connected. Uh, but I'm sure what he said was, mercy is always the Lord's default. Um, when in doubt, be merciful, because that's what Jesus does. Um, you know, it's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, Right? Are those who show mercy. Okay? So, uh, you know, go back and listen to it if you want. Um, it's always sort of a curse and a blessing to have someone come in from the outside. It's a curse because he can kind of do what he wants. So I'm sure, did he give you a handout? No, no. yeah, see? That's why you don't know. That's why you don't know, right. You don't have the cheat sheet or the cliff notes. Yeah, I get it. Um, so he didn't give you a handout. So in some sense, it sort of breaks the stream, and in another sense, it's a blessing because he probably understands mercy better than both of us put together. So uh, you take what you can get. But, anyways, um, look at your handout. Look at the first bit there. Uh, a few lessons from out east. You know, we were out in New York last week. Pastor Bruzek and I did a marriage a marriage retreat. I know that stuns many of you. Uh, that was a joke, actually. The, the other ones I was kind of I was actually telling the truth, and now I'm telling a joke, and no one laughs. Uh, um, we did a marriage retreat out there, and it was, uh, you know, very, very well-received. Um, Pastor Brusick did John 2, and um, then some, some of Jesus' words on divorce, and I did Ephesians 5. So it was great fun, and then we, the three of us went and looked at vestments and got, you know, got fitted and checked out different materials, and it was very productive. But while we were out there last Sunday, so a week ago today, we were at St. Peter's Lutheran Church in the Bronx, or in Brooklyn, um, the bishop church out there, And it was stunning to me a few things. One was you're in sort of one of the poorest parts of all of New York when you're there. Um, You know, homes are burned down. Actually, I give the bishop credit. They're rebuilding a lot of those churches. Uh, But while we were out there, you know, police cars pull up in front of the parish. The great thing was, Pastor Bruzek talked about this on Friday with the women, you know, the police officers pull up and immediately they go for their gun. And we're kind of stunned by that. And the woman says, well, you know, this is New York, right? go for your gun. But the other thing that was stunning to me, and I don't think he mentioned this, was the bishop knew the two police officers who pulled up. So there's some interaction between the clergy and the police on sort of a regular basis, right? But things that were surprising to me, so a few lessons from out east. You're safe in your collar, in your clerical collar. Uh, We wore that on Sunday morning in uh, in one of the roughest parts, again, of New York, in Brooklyn. And you're safe in your collar. The bishop kind of reiterated that over and over again. We said... Gosh, this looks a little dangerous. Uh, They treat the priests very well, he said. Um, And they especially treat the nuns very well. You know that out out in New York and in areas like that, it's a very matriarchal society. The mom kind of runs the place. So they have a special place in their heart for women. So women clergy, you know, nuns who come in their habits are very safe actually out there. But you're safe in your collar, that's one. You're safe at your church uh, in, you know, both figuratively and literally. You're safe literally because they have big steel doors that they close when the service starts. Bulletproof, big camera outside to make sure no intruders come. And you're safe figuratively. That's kind of the place of rest and comfort and peace. Uh, one, of the great, one of the great parts of the service was they were singing this song called, Jesus is going to fix it, it's all right. And it was right before the baptism. And the family, as you can imagine, was sort of broken in, in various ways by death, by divorce, by a bad marriage between the people who are going to have the baptism. And, and the bishop looks at him as he's walking down and says, Jesus is going to fix it. It's all right. And that sort of you know, put a calm on the family. Okay? So you're safe in your collar and you're safe at your church and you're safe with your pastor. This was stunning to me. Um, and, and in part that's because he's the bishop and they, at least out east, have a certain amount of respect for, for clergy and for order and for authority. It's not like us, you know? We sometimes say, well, we're all equal, aren't we? Uh, out there, that is not the way they operate. But you're safe primarily with your pastor because he's the one who cares for your soul. And it was, it was amazing to me to watch the bishop, who's probably in his 60s, sort of be a father and a grandfather to this entire congregation. Uh, in fact, on the way out, he was given some, we were late for lunch, and on the way out, he was given some pastoral care to a young woman who was talking about this man who had proposed to her. And you could kind of, you know, and I tried not to, not to listen in, I was on my way out, but she was loud enough that you could hear her. Basically, this guy's been kind of rough with her, wants to marry her, uh, and she went to her pastor for advice. And the bishop said, you bring him in here and I'll talk to him. And okay, that's a very different way of doing church. When you have sort of spiritual concerns and even physical life-threatening concerns, where do you go? You go to your priest. Uh, and he was their advocate. He was the one who defended them. So those three things. You're safe in your collar, and we wore it all day Sunday. People walking up on the street, bless me, Father. So what do you do? Bless them, right? Yeah, you don't walk down the streets of Wheaton and have someone say, bless me, Father. They say, who the heck is that guy in that weird rabbit suit? <laughs> okay, so bless me, Father. That's the way it is. Uh, you're safe at your church. That's the, everybody, they can't wait to get to church on Sunday. That's their place of safety. And you're safe with your pastor. So my question to you, why is that? Why are you safe in your collar, safe at your church, and safe with your pastor? And for him, it really was safe with your father. He was a priest. Okay, He's a father to them. Why is that? Why do you think? Yeah, okay, that's a good Lutheran answer. The Lord's in control. Good. But he's in control here, and it's not the same thing. Good, okay, so, so when you're present, uh, people should be able to see Jesus, right? That's good. Uh, but why, why was it so unique there and we don't have the same uniqueness here? Yeah? People respected the relationship of the priest and Christ. Okay, good. Yeah, oh, there you go. So he said they, they respect the relationship, that's right. But I think the real answer is go ahead. They were utterly helpless. Yeah, the place isn't safe. It, here's the thing. In, in Brooklyn, in New York, there is no veneer. You, you don't have, they don't even know what that means. We asked him over lunch, has the recession hit this place pretty hard? He said, recession? These people have always been in recession. This is no different than it's ever been. So there's no wall. There's no veneer. There's no faking how good life is. It's impossible. They're utterly broken. Um, You know, pick your thing. Murder. We were there, and the the woman sitting in the second row, her son was murdered three weeks ago. Stabbed to death in the chest, uh, right over where he had a tattoo that said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? Now, the closest we've come to this is the the funeral for the murder I did across the street, you know, three or four weeks ago. And many of you probably don't even know about it. Why? Because there's a veneer. (laughs) guy gets, you know, beaten to death with an axe handle and then burned in his car. And they call us to come do the funeral. Okay? So you have murder, you have HIV, you have divorce, you have broken families, you have broken relationships. You have all these things over there. People are utterly broken, which means they're in most need of Christ's mercy. That's all you can give them. It's almost like when we do a funeral, we often say, you don't need to preach the law at a funeral. Why? It's in the casket. You go out to New York, you don't need to preach the law. You don't need, you know, you know, they don't need justice. Why? Because the police pull up and go for their guns. Someone's going away in handcuffs that day. That's justice. Those people are in most need of Christ's mercy. And so they flee to the place where mercy is given. Pastor, church, and uh, and frankly the community of believers. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. Yeah, right. So your question is, what's the difference between justice and consequence? Well, sometimes, we'll see here. In fact, we should wait and hold that for the end of the Bible study. Because there is, uh, that's my way of dodging the question, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Consequence is utterly of the law. Okay, so consequence is always sort of, uh, if you can think about it this way, justice is making wrongs right. Now, I think we've been trained to think of that in the way of the gospel. Jesus is sort of making wrongs right in creation. But um, justice apart from mercy is utterly of the law. So for instance, when you pull up, you know, when the police uh, when the police cars pulled up and they took the guy away for you know uh, battery on his wife, that's justice. But that's justice utterly of the law. There's no mercy there. You got handcuffs and guns, and you're going in the back of an NYPD squad car. Okay? So justice apart from mercy is utterly of the law, and that's sort of where consequence comes into the mix. You, you eventually have to pay for what you've done. But justice which is energized by mercy, and we'll see that here, is utterly of the gospel. Okay? So justice apart from mercy is utterly of the law. Justice energized by mercy is utterly of the gospel. That's why mercy is always the Lord's first word. Okay? So let, we'll get to that. We'll keep coming, but just keep that in mind. Justice apart from mercy, law. Justice energized by mercy, gospel. Is that okay, Karen? Can we keep going? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. But I, want you to- I know you are. I know. So picking up where we left off then, justice. It, just think about this sort of in broad strokes. These are like, I'm not even talking in the church now. Justice is fair, it's impartial, and it's objective. If you do the crime, you do the time, right? That's justice. It's objective, it's impartial, and it's fair. Mercy is unfair, partial, and subjective. It gives us what we don't deserve. Okay? It gives us what we don't deserve. And there is a sense, and I think you've seen this throughout the scriptures, there is a sense in which Jesus' way is the way of justice. Okay? He's making wrongs right. And sometimes you know, that's going to be a terrible thing. Well, let me say it this way. For some people, that would be a very terrible thing. For some people, that would be a very joyous thing. There is some sense in which the Lord's way is the way of justice, and yet, at the end of the day, mercy is always his first word. Okay, so let's carry on then. Let's look at the prodigal son, a story that probably for many of you is you know near and dear to your heart, okay? I'm going to read it. Uh, You have all the text here. I'm going to read it the one time out of the New English. I read it this morning and was stunned at how uh, sort of apropos it was, and and beautiful as well. So Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through, um, we're just going to go to 24, actually. We're not going to talk about the elder son right now. The elder son is a justice man. The, The younger son did this. How come he gets a party? That's justice, apart from mercy. But look at Luke 15, um, 11 through 24. Everybody okay so far? All right, here we go. And he said, so this is Jesus, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property. So he divided his estate between them. A few days later, the younger son turned the whole of his share into cash and left home for a distant country, where he squandered it in reckless living. He had spent it all when a severe famine fell upon that country, and he began to feel the pinch. So he went and attached himself to one of the local landowners, who sent him out into his farm to mine the pigs. He would have been glad to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's paid servants have more food than they can eat? And I am here starving to death. I will set off and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he set out for his father's house. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his heart went out to him. He ran to meet him, flung his his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, fetch a robe, my best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us have a feast to celebrate the day. For this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And the festivities began. Okay, isn't that beautiful? And the festivities began. All right, so um, just what comes to mind when you hear that? When you hear the parable, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, well, yeah, okay. Mercy, good. (laughs) That's why we don't do children's sermons. The answer is always the same. The answer for the next, you know, 15 weeks will be the same. Mercy. Good. (laughs) Keep going. Okay, so forgiving and letting go. Forgiving and forgetting. Forgiving, or forgetting is often the difficult part, right? And you know from the scriptures, the Lord has a great memory when it comes to his mercy. But when it comes to your sins, once they're forgiven, his memory is terrible. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you, never to remember them again. Okay? And you remember the scriptures, faithfulness means to remember. So he's faithful in mercy He's not faithful in remembering your sins. It's a brilliant thing. Keep going. What else? Yeah, Dennis. It's a perfect example of the way God treats us. He gives us our free will. He yep. lets us do what we want. Um, and then hopefully at some point in time we understand that what we want is not always the best. Yeah, right. Best, yeah, once you're a son or daughter, he kind of lets you have your way. I mean, he says... Okay, you're free to be a son or daughter and all that that means, and you can either have the father the way the father wants to be had, or you can have him the way you want him, but eventually he's going to take you back. Right? He never gives up on people, so that's good. What else? Anything else? Yeah? The greatness of a father's love for his son. Yeah. There is a very unique relationship in the scriptures between fathers and sons, and particularly between God and children. Um, You know, in the Psalms, he cares especially for the widows and the fatherless, right? That's why the widow's son at Nain is such a great text. The mom is a widow and the son is a fatherless child. Okay, Good. So the way the father cares for the son. Anything else? Yeah, oh, see, we weren't going to go there. That's good. Resentment of the brother. I was hoping no one would go past verse 24 because that's where it gets a little bollocked up. Okay, Good. Yep, okay, so resentment, almost a Pharisaical way of doing the church, right? You're always out to catch somebody. What else? Anything else? Yes, okay, good. The father is not dead. We'll see. Well, in fact, let's look there. Look in your outline, the first two verses, 11 and 12. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. You remember, inheritance. Came at what point in a person's life? Death. Okay, came at death. So essentially what the younger son is asking for is that his father go off and die. My reaction precisely. Okay? That's essentially what the son is asking. Dad, go and die. I mean, imagine saying that to your father. Yeah. Learn from him, grasshopper, right? (laughs) Dad, go and die. And also, if you're going to divide up your property, who got a majority of it? The oldest son. How does he split it up? Right down the middle. Okay, so you can see from the very beginning, this father, in some sense, is utterly foolish. He's still alive, divides up his property, divides it up equally, and gives it to his two sons. He is verging on insanity. I mean, this is very true. This is what the first century Christians and Jews would have been hearing. This father is nuts. He actually, not only does he listen to the request, he actually does it. So he divides up his property. He's verging on insanity, and yet it is a gift beyond compare. In some sense, this is an utter act of mercy. He gives the son what the son desperately wants. Okay? So you've got all that going on in the first two verses. He does it. He's insane. And yet, there's a part of it which is utter mercy. Okay, let's keep going. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. You can see this, it's like the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Gathers all he had. I mean, if the father's willing to give him this, who knows what he got in his previous 20 or 30 years. iPod, Wii, he gathers it all up. And took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. You don't have to be a genius to figure out what that might be. Okay? And when he had spent everything, so he has utterly hit rock bottom, there is no money left, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay? Now I would propose to you that this verse, especially the first verse here, verse 13, is really the key to the first half of the text. Why? Because he leaves his community. I mean, you know, and maybe you don't know, the way sort of first century, you know, villages were set up. If you were rich, if you were a man of prominence, you lived at sort of the top of the hill. Okay? And we know this from the text, that this is where the man lives. Because he comes running down to meet his son. So he lives at the top of the hill, and you have sort of down along the, along the path to the bottom all the peons. So you kind of make your way down. So you have the president, the vice president, all the way down to servants and paid slaves. Okay, And slowly, you know, the food gets worse as you go down, the shoes get worse, everything gets worse as you make your way down the hill. So this man is sort of the man of the city, this father. And because he's the man of the city, everybody else in the community knows who he is. He may not know them but they all know him. So you can imagine this. He's at the top of the hill, and what happens? The young boy packs up everything he's got, and where does he have to walk to get out of the city? Right down the middle. Which means everybody in the community sees how insane this father is. Everybody in the community sees how foolish the dad is in giving up half of his estate to his youngest son. But the key is the son leaves the community. You don't ever leave the community. You don't leave the community. And that's what happens here in this text. The boy leaves the community. That is his sin. Okay, it's not taking the money. It's leaving the community. And he squandered his property. And this is a fascinating Greek word. The Greek word there comes from ouzia. Okay, and the vic, if I I was, well, I won't put the vic on the spot. But, you know, in Greek, Uzia means substance. So we say Jesus is one substance with the Father. He is homoousia with the Father. So he doesn't say he takes all of his property, his money, his Wii, his iPod, and squanders it. It says he squanders his substance. He squanders who he is as a person. That is very important. He doesn't just lose his worldly goods. He loses his essence. He loses himself. Okay. How does he do it by leaving the community? Let's keep going. He hits rock bottom, next page. He hits rock bottom because he was sent out in the field to feed pigs. Anybody have their Bible open? Somebody read Leviticus 11: seven to eight. Somebody else find Deuteronomy 14:8. Those two. Leviticus seven. I'm sorry, Leviticus 11, seven to eight. And Deuteronomy 14, verse 8. Two people find those, and if you want to read, that'd be great. You can stand up and read. That'd be helpful. Somebody have it? Yeah, go ahead, Melba. I've got Deuteronomy. Okay, go ahead with Deuteronomy. Good. The pig is unclean. Don't touch their flesh. And don't eat their food. Okay? Keep going. Who's got the other one? Somebody ready? Go ahead. And the pig, though it has a split hook completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Good. So for a Jew, it's not just about not eating a pig. It's also about not touching, touching a pig. This boy's a Jew. Where does he go to work? See, I mean, this is so great. Jesus is unbelievable. This thing is so upside down. The son goes out into the field to feed pigs. This is utter desperation. He cannot survive unless he does this. It shows you he has hit rock bottom. And it's only once you've hit rock bottom that you can actually turn around and say, my life is hell. There might be a better way. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? So when he realized what he'd done, how many of my fa- father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I've sinned in two ways, vertically and horizontally, against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The prodigal, prodigal son understands his primary sin as that of money lost. Okay? I mean, think about when you were a kid and your, your parents gave you something and you sort of utterly destroyed it. Probably for your parents, You know, you come back thinking, Dad's going to be mad that I broke the Wii and we've only had it three days. You know, your dad's upset because you didn't listen to him. Not because the Wii's broken. And by not listening, you've broken a relationship. That's precisely what's happened here. It's not that the boy lost the money. The dad doesn't care. It's that the boy has broken the community. Why? Because he left. Because he left the community. If you leave the community, the community is broken. And so, he is ha- you see this next bullet point then, he is having repentance, the turning around, Pastor Nelson mentioned this morning, he's having this turning around the law way. It's the way of this for that. The way of conditions and terms. I'm going to say, Dad, I want to do this. And Dad, by God, you're going to let me be a paid servant. It's the way of burden instead of gift. Do you think he really wants to be a slave? No. It's the way of justice, Karen, this is getting your point, the way of justice apart from mercy. He will arise, the text says. The Greek word there is anastasis. You know anybody named Anastasia? That's a Greek word for resurrection. He says, I will resurrect myself and go back to my father. Now, if you, how many of you are doctors or nurses? Raise your hand. You ever been in the ER? Have you ever been in the ER and seen somebody come in flatline and grab the paddles and bring themselves back to life? They've done it themselves? No. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I've used that analogy about 100 times and no one's ever disagreed with me. <laughs> 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 okay, so good. All right, so they've never come in flatline and brought themselves back to life, right? A dead man can't bring himself back to life. The son here completely misunderstands what life is all about. He thinks, although he's hit rock bottom, although he is utterly dead, he is touching the pigs, he can somehow come back, he can somehow go back to his father and bring his relationship back to life. Dead man can't do that. Dead men cannot do that. Someone else has to revive you. Okay? All he can hope for is a servant's place in the community. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, I mean, this this guy's a mile or two away, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is very important. This is sort of the turning point of the text. He leaves the community and breaks it. He's touched the pigs. He's unclean. He's dead. He's got a plan to bring himself back to life. And what happens as he's walking? The father sees him. It means the father was out on top of the hill waiting. Right? He's waiting for his son. He's hoping. He's looking. He's waiting for his son to come back so that he can bring his son back to life. He felt compassion. Two weeks ago when Pastor Bruzek did uh, Matthew 18, that was the same word that's used. That's sort of a gut reaction. It's compassion from the inside, splachna. Right? It's some of the deepest, darkest depths of who you are. That's, that's, frankly, that's the Jesus way of compassion. In the scriptures outside of parables, I don't think anyone else has this kind of compassion except for Jesus. The father is like Christ. He has compassion on his son. The dad runs to meet him. And Aristotle, you have there, it says, great men never run. Okay, great men never run. You know this man was a great man because he lived at the top of the hill. <laughs> great men never run. You never run because that was, that was an utter disgrace to the community for them to see you running. In fact, there's a story in um, sort of old Jewish literature. Really, the key was not to see someone's ankles. And there's a story about these rabbis who would sit, and if a bird flew up underneath their robe, If it was on the Sabbath, you actually couldn't lift up your robe to let it out. You had to wait till the next day, because revealing your ankles was was an utter disgrace. The Father doesn't care, though. Okay, you can imagine, if he's running with a robe, if we were running with an awl, by the way, I just stepped on it, ripped off all the lace on the bottom as I was going back up here. So, if anyone's good at sewing, we pay well. Um, I don't know what I'm going to wear for the next service. I mean, it's like gone, big time. Um, but you can imagine running in one of those. You'd have to pull it up to begin to run down the hill. So great men never run, and Jews never reveal their ankles. This old man does both, because he wants his son back. Okay? So you can see now what Jesus is showing you is uh, the utter insanity of the father by giving him half the share of of the estate, is either matched or even greater with the utter insanity of the father as he sees his son walking back to him. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care. He runs down, he hugs him, he kisses him. Hugs and kiss, you know, are mark of the family. You can read Genesis 33 later. Esau comes back and finds Jacob, and what does he do? He hugs him and he kisses him, their family again. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What's missing? Uh, Well, in some sense he's asking. He's confessing what he is. But what's missing from the original plan? He's out feeding the pigs. I will go back and tell my dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What's the next line? Make me as one of your hired servants. So that's his plan. But when he actually comes in contact with his father, what's missing? Yeah, he drops the deal. You don't need to make a deal with your dad. I mean, this guy has tweaked his dad now for however long he's been gone. And he comes back. And it's not like his dad says, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Don't say it. I know what you're going to say. Don't say it. That's not how it happens. In seeing his father. In seeing his father run, in seeing his father embrace him, in feeling the kiss of his dad, he knows he doesn't need to make a deal. Yes? I, I went back to verse 17. There already, I felt like he had an ultimate uh, uh, agenda before he even went in to see him. Oh, Yeah. And the way of working your way back into the family, that is justice. But that's justice the law way or the gospel way? The law way. Yeah. It's this for that. You screwed your dad, now you've got to work it off. I mean, that's what it, He had it all. For the he day. had it all. Exactly. So he has this plan ready. Already in verse 17, he's got the plan ready to go. And yet when he sees his father, when he, I mean, this is the thing. You all know this. Your dad doesn't even have to speak to you, and you can tell whether or not he's happy, mad, sad, angry, whatever. I mean, my dad's still. We don't come home for a few months, and he looks at me. I'm like, we probably should have come home sooner than this. (laughs) You can see it in your father. What does he see in his dad? Forgiveness. Compassion. Keep going. Elation. Mercy. Good. Community. Relationship again. He doesn't even need his dad to speak. His dad has not uttered a word yet, and he knows he's no longer out, but now he's in. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Some say, let us eat and make merry. For this son of mine was dead... The Greek word there is nekros, roadkill, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Before the boy can utter one word of the deal, the father shows him mercy. Next page. The son is overwhelmed by grace. Just listen, listen here to, uh, to, uh, to Bailey. This is an unbelievably great, uh, what's his first name, Kenneth. Kenneth Bailey? Anybody know? Bruzek? Is it Kenneth Bailey? I think he did a a doctoral degree at St. Louis Seminary. He's not a a Lutheran, but he went over and actually lived in Israel and sort of has examined how cultures relate to each other. And he writes on all of the parables of Jesus from the perspective of a first-century Jew. So things like, noble men don't run, those are things that are still talked about to this very day, and he's told us about those. Um, so this is from Bailey, then. He, the prodigal, now sees that the point is not the lost money, but rather the broken relationship with he, which he cannot heal. Remember, he was going to do the verbs. He was going to resurrect himself. He realizes he cannot heal. Now he understands that any new relationship must be a pure gift from his father. It must be pure mercy. Justice would make him a paid servant. But mercy makes him a son. And you have four things here. It's very fascinating what the father does. Remember he puts the best robe on? He puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. You know, a ring meant you were part of the family, a signet ring. So you're one of the family again. And shoes meant that you weren't a slave. Slave went went barefoot. Slaves went barefoot. And sons had shoes. Best robe... Ring, shoes, eat and make merry, he's dead and he's alive. Here you should be hearing the four echoes that N.T. Wright told us about last year. What are people most drawn to today? Beauty, community, justice, and spirituality. He puts the robe on him, put the best one on him. Why? Because he's filthy. He's been out with the pigs. Put the best robe on him. Utter beauty. Put a ring and shoes. He's part of our community again. He's a son. Eat and celebrate. The most spiritual events in all the scriptures are meals. He is dead, was dead, and now he's alive. That is justice. It's making wrongs right. And all of those echoes, everything that the father does, the robe, the ring, the shoes, the meal, the dead and alive are all meant to point the son back to the merciful voice of his father. As he, you can just imagine as this goes on, he throws the robe on him. The son's like, whoa, that's nice. Puts a ring on his hand. Wait, Dad, that's only for sons. Get him some shoes. Wait, Dad, I've been, I've been barefoot now for six years. Let's have a feast. Bring out a fattened calf and kill it and bring the wine. Dad, I'm not part of the family yet. All these things are meant to point him back to his father who is utter mercy. Justice without mercy, this is you, Karen. Justice without mercy is of the law. If he were to come back and be a hired servant, would there have been justice? Yeah. But no mercy. That's like going to jail. Justice energized by mercy is of the gospel. The son comes back, the father shows him mercy, he was dead, and now he is alive. There is justice here but that justice only comes as a result of the Father's mercy. And all of that, all of that gives us a picture of what the Lord is doing in the world and in this community. And some of you, I'm sure, feel more like the prodigal son than others. There's some of you who really have been a prodigal, and you've come back. I mean, I've talked to you, I know you, I've met you. There's some of you who maybe haven't been as prodigal, um, as wasteful. But all of us, in some sense, can find our place in the prodigal's flesh. You know? You turn your back on Jesus. You say you'll have it your way. Um, You leave the community. And you don't come back unless the Father comes to get you. So, um, you should see in this text what the Lord does week in and week out, both here. And you can imagine, who's, who's the best spokesperson then for the Father's mercy once it's all happened? The son. So what the Lord does is he shows you mercy as a prodigal and he sends you out as a son to do what? To show mercy to a world full of prodigal sons. Okay? That's what the world... There's a great prayer in the Catholic litany that says, um, and show your love to those in most need of your mercy. Which really means those who are farther from the truth than we could ever imagine. Jesus is making wrongs right. But he does that by showing people mercy. And the key to mercy is, you see your bullet points here. The key to mercy is that mercy sticks. Okay, justice might fade, mercy sticks. Keep going, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got that's a good point. He was asking for a handful of rice, but he got the whole shot. You've got to wonder, though, if a life of a slave at this time was really even a handful of rice. Could be. Could be. Um, but, the re, but the motivation is to sort of earn your way back into relationship. Actually, let me say this. The motivation is not even to get back into the community. The motivation is to be a slave. What's the great sin in this? Not the lost money, but the broken relationship. So if you never get back into a right relationship, do you really have mercy? That's the key question. If it was just about the money, you're exactly right. He'll work it off. But it's about a broken relationship with his father and with the community. And slaves then are not part of that. Okay? But mercy sticks. Mercy is for all. And mercy is always the Lord's first word. I mean, your default walking out of here should be mercy. There are a lot of people that are going to tweak you along the way. There are a lot of things you're going to want to square up and you know, I mean, pick your thing. Guess what? Be merciful. People that are always convention about how people have hurt them, they should go out and be merciful to other people for a few years and then come back and talk about how people have hurt them. Because that's what mercy does. It takes the anger away. Remember, Jesus says, Don't return evil by doing evil, but quench evil by doing good. Go out and feed the poor for a couple years and then come tell me how people have hurt you. All of that gives us hope for going forward. And I want to read you this one little section here from Uncle Vanya. Anybody heard of this before? No? Good. Okay. So if I screw up the plot, nobody's going to know. As far as I can tell, this is is a Russian play, and I actually heard this a couple weeks back. This one section, we were at Valparaiso, a, a former professor of abbeys passed away at a very young age, had a um, I think a heart attack at about 54 and, uh, you know, dropped dead out at Valpo. Great guy, had taught there for about 20 years. Um, and as part of a memorial service, they had the main funeral service, and then they had a, sort of a campus-wide memorial. And they did some great stuff. They, uh, he was a theater guy and directed plays, and they did some great things from Shakespeare, and they did some other plays that he had directed, just some, some small portions. And this one was read, and you can kind of imagine this in the context of a funeral or a memorial service, how fitting it is. But as I'm listening, I'm thinking about this Bible study and and sort of mercy always having the first word, and I was stunned by this. So it's a Russian play that's essentially about a wasted life. This Uncle Vanya's on his deathbed, and he's sort of kvetching that nothing good has ever happened to him. He's not been productive. He's essentially been a prodigal, right? He's been wasteful. So this is Sonia, this is the, uh, the niece. But what can we do, uncle? All we can do is live. We'll live through a long row of days and through the endless evenings, and we'll bear up. Under the trials fate sent, has sent to us, we will constantly toil for others, now and the rest of our days. And when we come to die, we'll die submissively. Beyond the grave, we will testify that we have suffered, We have wept and have known bitterness. And God will pity us, you and I. Dear Uncle, God will take pity on us, and we, Uncle, shall live a life of radiant beauty and grace, last year's Bible study, and look back on this life of our unhappiness with tenderness and a smile. And in that new life, we shall rest. Uncle, I know it. I have faith. I have a passionate faith. We shall rest. We shall rest to the songs of the angels in a firmament arrayed in jewels and look down. And we will see evil, all the evil in the world and all our sufferings. We will see all the evil in the world and all our sufferings bathed in perfect mercy and our life grown sweet as a caress. I have faith. Oh, poor Uncle Vanya, you're crying. I know. I know. You have had no joy in your life, but wait, and only wait. Uncle Vanya, we shall rest. She embraces him like the prodigal. We shall rest. We shall rest. It's all about mercy. This parable should be be retitled. It's not the wasteful son. It's the merciful and the waiting father. That's what it's all about. It's the merciful and the waiting Father. And that gives us something for going forward. That's how he interacts with you, and that's how he wants us to interact with the world and with each other. Let, I, you know, I, I press you on this. Let mercy rule the day for weeks and weeks and weeks and see how this community will be transformed. That's what it's all about. Okay? Any questions? Yes. Yeah. And yet, you know, is it merciful to give an alcoholic a of whiskey? Is it merciful to give someone a certain dress? Yeah. A bottle of pills? I, I guess I'm struggling with how is it merciful to give somebody something that you know will be harmful to Probably isn't. Um, in fact, I reread that this morning and thought I shouldn't have put mercy there. Um, so if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't put mercy there because it's not. Is it a gift? In some sense, it is. Because he gives the Father something. Um, But it's not merciful because it's not best. So, yeah, is it merciful? Not really. Is it a gift? Yeah. Are there better gifts the Son could have had? More merciful gifts? Probably. Like, hold off for now, I'm not dead yet. That would have been a more merciful gift. (laughs) What else? Anything else? You all okay? Okay, good. All right, let's pray.